It's an honor and privilege to be here tonight. I always enjoy coming to the jail. I've been coming here about 17 years, and I've never left here but on cloud nine. It's exciting. And uh, what I want to talk about tonight is being content. Uh, in this world today, we have a lot of people that aren't content. And uh, there's two groups of people. There's the person that's a pessimist, that's always negative, always on the negative side, and uh, always looks at the bad signs, side of things. Not fun to be around, hard to please. And then there's the optimist. He's always happy, no matter what he goes through. It seems like he finds a silver lining in about everything he does. He's always looking at the positive things. And he's easy to please. The pessimist looks at the gas tank and he says, the gas tank's half empty. The optimist sees the gas tank and says, hey, that baby's half full yet. We can go a long ways. So there's two different ways you can look at things. I want to tell you a story about two, uh, two boys. They're twins. One was a pessimist and one was an optimist. Well, Paul, he was a pessimist. Always, never could please him. His parents could never please him. And uh, there's Bob. Happy-go-lucky. Always looking at the bright side of things. Bob was something else. Always pumped up. Always excited. Well, Mom and Dad said, Well, Christmas is coming up. And you know, we can never seem to please Paul. But this year at Christmas, we're going to do our best. We're going to try to make Paul happy. So they knew Paul had an old bicycle, and they decided, we'll buy Paul a brand new bicycle, a real nice one, 10-speed. And, uh, and he likes trains, too. So we'll buy him a super nice train set. That'll make his Christmas happy. He'll be happy. And they said, well, Bob, you know, no matter what we get him, he loves it. We're going to try something different this year. So they went down to the farmer's farm down the road and took a bucket with them and a shovel. And they scooped up some old horse manure and they put it in a bucket. And they took it home and then they put it in a big plastic bag and then in a box and they wrapped it all up for Bob. Well, Paul... They bought him that new bike, wrapped it up nice, that train set. Well, here comes Christmas morning, and Mom and Dad, they yell up. The boys' bedrooms are upstairs. They said, Paul, Bob, come on down. It's Christmas morning. We got presents. Guess who came down first? Bob. Bob, he's bouncing off the walls. He's zipping down the steps. He's all excited. Can I open my present? They said, no, you got to wait for Paul. Paul, come on down. And he said, ah, do I have to? He said, yeah, come on down. we got presents for you. You'll love them. So they come down, he comes down, and uh, Paul sees his presents. He says, yeah, they're pretty nice looking, all wrapped up. So they said, Paul, open that big present first. It's Spike. He opens it up, gets all the wrapping paper off. He said, why'd you buy me a bicycle? He said, it's too cold outside to ride it now. And it's a 10-speed. He says, that thing's going to go too fast. I'll probably fall off, break my leg. And it's so shiny and nice, somebody's going to steal it. So, so much for the bike. Well, the parents said, we got the train set. We'll see what he does with that. Come on, Paul, open this other gift. Oh, okay. He opens it up. Here's this real nice train set. What would you buy me a train set for? He said, look at all the track. It'll take all day to put all this together. And it has all these curves in it. He says, once we get it all together, 
and run that train on there. It'll probably go so fast, it'll hit that curve, and it'll fall off, and it'll break. So, so much for Paul. Now it's time for Bob. Bob's going to open his present. Yeah. Can I open it now? Can I open it now? Sure, Bob, open your present. He tears at that thing. He, he opens it up, opens the box, and he looks in there. Look what I got. And he runs out the front door of the house, and he's bouncing off the wall, out, out, out in the yard, just happy as can be. And he runs around to the backyard. And his mom and dad said, Bob, what's going on? Get in here. Bob comes in the house, and, and he said, well, why are you so happy? He says, look what I got. Look, well, with what I got in the box, there's got to be a pony out there somewhere. Yeah. So that's the difference between a pessimist and an optimist. What are we? Are we a, the, a person that walks into a room and brightens things up, or the one that's always negative? We need to be the one that's content. And I looked it up in the dictionary, and in the dictionary there's definitions of being content. It says, to be happy, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled, to be cheerful, to be pleasant, to be complete, to have peace of mind is being content, being happy with what you have. If I went out to the mall over here, and I started asking people, what would make you happy? What would most people say? Money, right? Money. Well, money, yeah, it can make you happy. I've heard of some of these people winning the lottos, and after they've won the big bucks, and a few years down the road, they're miserable. They've lost all their money, they've lost their friends and everything. They were giving it all away, and... and they aren't any happier than when they got it. And I want to read what the Bible says about money, okay? It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. And even in verse 6 it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, let us be content. But they that will be rich, they that will be rich, fall in temptation and a snare. What's a snare? A snare's a trap. Yeah. So it says, but they that will be rich fall in temptation and a trap. And it goes on to say, unto many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men to destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Did it say money was evil? There you go. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, or just went after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced them through with many sorrows. So it says money is not always a blessing. It says it can be a curse. It can be hurt into hurtful lusts and drown men into destruction. And it says they can err from the faith. You know, if you had a real nice house, a big boat, a yacht, a fancy car, all this stuff, you know, you may get to the point where your Bible's sitting on the shelf, Right? gathering dust because you're having too much fun with all the worldly things, the temporary things. So sometimes that money can just be a trap to draw us away from the things that are really important in life. I want to read something that I found about nine real rich men. It was back in 1923. It's talking about nine real uh, success, successful men. I'm going to read this. In 1923, a meeting was held at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Attending the meeting were nine of the world's most richest and successful men. 
Charles Schwab Steel Magnet, Samuel Insull, president of the largest utility company, Howard Hobson, president of the largest gas company, Arthur Cotton, the greatest wheat spe speculator, Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, Albert Fall, a member of the president's cabinet, Leon Frazier, president of the Bank of the International Settlements, Jesse Livermore, the greatest bear on Wall Street, and Ivor Kruger, head of the wor world's most powerful monopoly. And here it is, 25 years after that meeting they had, here's what's happened to them 25 years later. Charles Schwab had died in bankruptcy and had lived his last five years on borrowed money. Samuel Insull had died a fugitive from justice and penniless in a foreign land. Howard Hobson went insane. Arthur Cotton had died abroad, bankrupt. Richard Whitney had spent time in Sing Sing prison. Albert Fall had been pardoned so he could die at home. Jesse Livermore, Arvard Kruger, and Leon Frazier all died by suicide. All nine men died in a way that wasn't happy. So all the, these powerful rich men died in a way that wasn't happy. They didn't have peace in life. They didn't have contentment in life. You know, if you ever went to some of these restaurants, like all-you-can-eat places, and people bring their whole families there, and you see these little kids go up there, and they have a big plate, and they just start piling all this food on there. They say, oh, I want this. I want that. I want all this. And they come back to their table with a heap full of food, and they just start picking at it. They'll eat, I don't like that. I don't like this. And you know, here you end up with big piles of food on these plates. And then here comes a waitress along later with a big bucket. She scoops all that food in a bucket. All that waste. In this country, we waste so many things. We don't ever seem to be content. We eat the best food that anybody can eat in the whole world, right in this country. And you look on television, and you look at people like in Ethiopia, and their bellies are hanging way out. And it's not because they're overfed. It's because they're starving. Their stomachs are bloated. And they're in like these desert conditions. And they're hunting all day just for something to put in their mouth to take away the pain of the stomach. If you took all this food that these little kids weren't content with and you took it over to Ethiopia to these people, what would you think they'd think of this food? They'd be so thankful, so blessed. They'd be very content, wouldn't they? And we take so many things for granted. It's like a kid that says, I don't like these shoes you bought me. Then you see some person that doesn't have any legs. We need to be content with what we have. And in uh, the Bible, it talks about rich men again a little bit. It's in Luke chapter 6, verse 24 and 25. Rich men that aren't using their wealth to share with others, they're greedy. It says, but woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your reward now. Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep later. Like these men I just read about. You can just see some of these rich people. You know, they're proud and boastful, and they think everybody else is just a peasant, and they don't treat him like an equal. But it says right here, Laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep later. You know, the Bible says you do reap what you sow. 
Money can be a blessing to a person that really loves the Lord and wants people to come to Jesus Christ. They may take that money and give it to different churches, different ministries, feeding the hungry, feeding people the Word of God. Money can be a blessing, but we got to watch out. And think of some of these people that are movie stars, celebrities that have money. Some of them aren't happy at all with money. How happy do you think Britney Spears is right now? Not too good. She even had her kids taken away. Take somebody like O.J. Simpson. How happy can he truly be? He had all the fame and the money at one time. Take a man like uh, Mike Tyson. He had money and fame at one time. How happy is he? Think of Elvis Presley years ago. One of the most popular men ever born. Rich. He didn't die happy, did he? Think of a very powerful man years ago named Adolf Hitler. Very powerful man in Europe. Did he die happy? No. We could go on and on with the rich and famous. I happened to be flipping channels one day on television. And they had this program called Celebrity Rehab. Here's people, at one time, they were famous, they had money. It just saddens my heart. They just, they're not happy at all. There's, there's a saying that goes, Jesus fills a void that we try to fill with earthly things. We're always seeking for something. Happiness in different places, in the drugs, in the alcohol, the pornography. But you know, there's a spot in us that we hunger to be filled. And it can only be filled by Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Mark 8, chapter 36, it says, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? True happiness only comes through Christ. In Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 it says I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee and it says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths that's in Proverbs chapter 3 5 and 6 in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, The Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It can guide your ways. If I told you that I wanted you to run through this woods, it's a hundred acre woods, and it's got quicksand in it, it has stumps, has limbs and logs laying down all over, it's got trees with sticker bushes on them. And I tell you, you have to run as fast as you can through that 100-acre woods to go to the other side. And you got to do it at night when the moon's not out, and you can't see your hand in front of your face. And I tell you, you got to run as fast as you can to make the other side. How good would you go? Not too good. You may get your eye gouged out by the tree limbs. You may fall into the quicksand. You may trip over a stump. It could beat you up bad. Well, in life, when we don't have Jesus Christ guiding our lives, we're like that. We're running through the darkness. We don't have that lamp, the Word of God, guiding us. We have Satan, usually. Another example. Let's say you're in downtown New York, and we blindfold you, handcuff you behind your back, and let's say you can have your best friend guide you around. Okay, you wouldn't feel too bad about that, right? Your best friend? Let's say, you, on the flip side, your worst enemy has the chance to guide you around. What? Here, hey, here comes a bus. Flips you right in front, huh? Wouldn't you feel more comfortable guided by your friend? Well, that's the way it is in life. We can't have Jesus Christ guide us through the Word of God, through praying, growing in the Lord. Or we can rely on our flesh 
and Satan to guide us through our, our, our daily walk. I want to talk about a guy that I met here at Cass County Jail quite a few years ago. I think it was back in 1991, 92, right in there. His name was Wayne. He's sitting right out in here. I remember him that night. And I was preaching just like I'm preaching tonight. And uh, he, his hair was just all straggly. looked like he never washed it. His beard was scuzzy like he'd never cleaned up, took a bath or nothing. And he's just sitting there. And uh, real rough looking. Later I found out it, he'd been on drugs since he was 17 years old. At the time he was 27 as he's sitting there in the jail. And uh, I preached a message. And after that message, I gave an altar call like I will tonight. See if anybody wants to get right with Jesus Christ. Well, Wayne came up. And I told him, let's pray the sinner's prayer. Where he asked Christ to come into your heart. And I told him, why don't you just repeat after me. And uh, The Lord looks upon the heart. He knows whether you're doing business with him or you're playing games. So he started saying the sinner's prayer out loud. And he bellered it louder than I ever heard anybody ever say the sinner's prayer. He was crying as he was doing it. He was doing business with Jesus Christ. And the Lord changed his life. Well, that night he told me, he says, Gary, could you call my wife and tell her what I did tonight? I said, yes, I will. So when I got home from here, I called his wife and told him that, you know, I th think Wayne did business with Jesus tonight. She says, I don't believe it. I don't believe a word he says. He's been in and out of jail. He doesn't support his family. He's been selling drugs. He's been stealing. He's been all that stuff. I don't listen to a word he says. I told her, well... I'm not trying to defend him. I'm not trying to build him up. I don't know him myself. You know him a lot better than I do. But I just felt led to relay the message. Well, at that time I was coming here on rotation about every three weeks with other churches. And three weeks later I come back. And I remember walking through them doors right there. And you got the cell block over here. And I seen this guy... As I'm walking through, he starts waving. He's waving his hands, and he has a Bible in his hand. And he, I wonder, who in the world is this guy? He acts like he really knows me. He seems like he really wants to see me and talk to me. I look a little closer. It's Wayne. He's all clean-shaven, cleaned up. And he has a Bible in his hand and a smile on his face. I'm thinking, praise the Lord. And he, he started sharing with me that he's been going to Bible studies. He's been growing in the Lord. I'm thinking, wow. And I started coming once in a while to see him, try to encourage him. And uh, in between time, uh, I had called his wife one other time and told him, you know, Wayne got all cleaned up. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, she didn't think much of it. But over a period of time, uh, his wife started visiting him, and he got saved. Here's a letter I got from him. Let's see. This is back in 1992. He got saved in September. Well, it, it's around Christmas time now. He sent me this letter at Christmas time. Dear Gary, I would like to thank you very much for your support. You have really helped me. No matter what my future holds, I will serve God for the rest of my life. You know, just a short time ago, I was ready to end my life. I have lost my wife. I hurt so many people. But now that Jesus is in my heart, I feel like a new person. I still hurt when I think about my wife. But if I wait on the Lord, 
I'm sure he will take care of things. Again, thank you for telling me about Jesus and your prayers, your calls to my wife, and your Christmas card and Bible tracts. I hope to see you again soon, hopefully in the free world. He wasn't sentenced yet. He was looking for some time at Jackson Prison. And uh, he was hoping that the Lord would take him out of all that mess. When he wrote that letter, his wife wasn't talking to him, but in after that, I guess she started coming. She's seen a difference in Wayne. And uh, she started visiting. It started being real encouraging. But you know, then Wayne got sentenced seven years, Jackson Prison. I didn't hear from him for like a year. And I got this letter a year later from Jackson Prison. It's on Jackson Prison Stationery. Here's how the letter goes. Dear Gary, how are things with you? I'm doing good. I just want to let you know that I'm still alive. And I still love the Lord with all my heart. I'm happy with my life. It's been a real blessing coming here. Wow. It's a real blessing coming here. Jackson Prison. The Lord has opened up my eyes. I feel His love flowing through my veins. I wouldn't give up all I've been through for nothing in the world. I'm free no matter where I'm at. And that's a real good feeling. You take care and keep me in your prayers, will you? Your friend in Christ, Wayne. Whew. Awesome. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things. How many? All things are become new. The load of sin is gone. You're new in Christ. You're born again. And that's what happened to Wayne. Isaiah chapter 23, verse 3. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in me. That verse has true meaning with Wayne. Yeah. You know, and these verses in the Bible remind me of Wayne. It's in Psalm 119, verse 67. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. And Psalm 119, verse 71 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy ways. If Wayne wouldn't have got caught, came to jail, he might be a dead man by now. One of the blessings was him coming to jail. Got him off the streets. Got him away from his old friends, the old habits. Got him to hear the Word of God. In most cases, people are here in jail aren't going to a, a church regularly. That's why they're here. Because if you're in the Word of God and pumping up spiritually, chances are you won't be here. So it was a real blessing for him coming there. In John 16, verse 33, it says, These things... Have I spoken unto you, this is Jesus speaking, that in me you might have peace. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Philippians 4, verse 7. Through Jesus, 
I have peace which passes all understanding. In Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 it says, Come unto me, Jesus says, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Are you stressed out? Are you tired of running? It's time to come to Jesus. To be fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it says, For God commended His love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And most of you know John 3.16, maybe not through 18, but it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but through Him the world may be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already condemned already when you believe not you know I watched Oprah the other day she's been pushing religion here lately and the religion she's preaching is a type that says well you can believe in Hinduism Buddhism uh, Muslimism any of this isms and still go to heaven she has she, it's a book she wants you to get called The New Earth. An awakening. Awakening to your life. A purpose to your life. But you know what Jesus Christ says about that? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Nobody else. Jesus Christ, He is the way the truth, and the life. He's the one that died on the cross for our sins. Even on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yes, only through Jesus Christ can you go to heaven. All others are liars. It's a lie of the devil, a lie of Satan, trying to pull us away from Jesus. Satan wants to draw us all towards hell, away from Jesus. I want to close with this story. Like I say, I've been coming here 17 years, and I talk to a lot of people. And they tell me this. I hear this time after time after time. You know, I come to jail and I say I'm never coming back. I'm going to do good. And I'm never coming back to this place. But every time I get out there, I end up coming back over and over again. I let people down. I don't want it to happen again. Gary, what can I do? I don't want to come back. And I always tell them this story because it has a lot of wisdom in it. And I close a lot of times at a jail service with this message. Listen, because it may keep you from ever coming back here again. It's a story about an old missionary that would go on horseback from Indian village to Indian village and he'd be toting his Bible. And he'd be telling the Indian people about Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross for their sins. And one day he was telling an old Indian chief about Jesus. And that old Indian chief asked Jesus Christ into his heart to be his Lord and his Savior, to forgive him of his sins. And he was born again. Well, the old missionary packed up his horse rode off, went around other villages preaching the Word. And he came back about three months later to this village, and he seen the old Indian chief 
sitting by the fire. So he got off his horse, went over and stepped beside him. And he asked the old Indian chief, how is it being a Christian now? And the old Indian chief says, it's great. You know, my sins are forgiven. The load of sin is off my shoulders. I have the peace that passes all understanding. I'm right with God. And I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. But he says, there's two cats inside of me. And they fight from the time I get up in the morning till the time I go to bed. And the missionary says, what do you mean there's two cats inside of you fighting? Well, the Indian chief says, well, one cat represents the flesh, the old me, the old habits, the things the flesh wants to do, the things that get me in trouble. And then the other cat represents Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living within me. And whenever I start to do the bad things that the flesh says I should do, the spiritual cat says, no, don't do that. Do this instead. And the Bible says the fruit of being a Christian, Jesus Christ living within us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, happiness, meekness, self-control. And the missionary says, well, which cat usually wins? This is the kicker of the whole story. Which cat usually wins? And the old engine chief says, the one I feed the most wins. A lot of wisdom to that. It's like a weightlifter. If he wants to build up his muscles, what's he do? He pumps up the flesh. He eats the right food to build up his fleshly body. Well, to pump up spiritually, what do we do? We get into the Word of God. And we start praying. And we get stronger spiritually. We pray. We memorize the Word of God. Like if this is a cup right here. And you start pouring it with the Word of God. What's it do? It keeps getting filled up more and more. And after a while, it overflows. And when you're pumping up spiritually, what overflows? The love, the joy, the peace, the happiness, the meekness, the gentleness, the self-control. So the one you feed the most wins. What's going to keep you out of this jail is pumping up spiritually, getting right with Jesus. And when you leave this place, you don't go back in the old hogmire of the old friends that pump up the drugs, the flesh, the alcohol, the pornography. You get out of the mud hole, the sty. You make a new home. You go to a church. Get pumped up spiritually. Make new friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ will keep you away from the old stuff. Pump up spiritually. That's my advice to all of you. And you know, the ones we hurt the most are usually the ones we love the most. It's like when you take a rock and you throw it into a pond, you get a big splash right where it goes in, don't you? It makes the most effect right where it hits. But it ripples all the way through the pond. And your sin is like that rock thrown around your family. It splashes and hits them the hardest. And it has a rippling effect to other relatives, your friends, your neighbors, people you work with are all affected by sin. Are you a blessing to others? Or are you the opposite? Are you drawing people to Jesus Christ? Or pulling them away? What are you here tonight? We're going to close here in just a few minutes. And we're going to give an altar call. And if the Lord's tugging on your heart tonight, it's time to get right. It's time to do business with Jesus. You may not have tomorrow. And the Bible also says, the more you hear the Word and back away, the more your heart becomes hardened. 
if he's tugging hard tonight, tonight's the night to come forward. Because the next time, he may not tug as hard. Your heart could become hardened. There's a verse in the Bible, Revelations 3.20. Jesus speaks here. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Door of your heart. If any man hear my voice and open that door, I will come into him. Is he tugging? Is he pulling? Tonight's the night to get right. Gave an altar call here one night. Guy come forward, accepted Christ. He says it was rough coming up. He says, at first I, I wondered what all the other people would think if I come up. But then he said, you know, I really don't care no more. And he started to get up. And the guy next to him grabbed him and said, sit down. But he came up anyways. Satan had his last little tug. He doesn't want you to come up. He wants to keep you on a puppet on a string. Manipulate you. You may think you're your own man. But if you don't have Christ, Satan's got you on a string. And it says in Matthew 10.32 and 10.33, it says, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father which is in heaven. So it's not a time to wimp out. It's a time to stand. Because every single person in this room is going to be before God in judgment day. And he isn't going to care who was sitting beside you tonight. It won't matter. It's your decision to do what you want to do with your life tonight. 1 John 5.12, it says, He that hath the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. And Jesus fills the void that we do try to fill with earthly things, doesn't he? So, we're going to close with this song. And if the Lord's tugging, I have these little booklets called Knowing God Personally. If you come up, I'll give you each one of these booklets, and we'll say the sinner's prayer together. And you can leave here knowing for sure you're right with Jesus tonight. Just as I am without one peace. If he's tugging, now's the time to come.
Amen. I counted 11 that stood tonight to give their hearts and lives over to, to the Lord and to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I just want to give you a little word of encouragement in addition to what uh, 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 Minister Gary has shared. Um, one thing that I've, I've learned in my walk with, with God, you start out believing and you, you, if you want to grow, you're going to have to continue to believe. That's all it's all about. Just believe the word of God. Amen? Keep believing. Try to be as obedient as you possibly can. And watch the Lord uh, work out. Your, and watch your soul salvation be worked out right before your eyes. Amen. God is good. Amen. God is good. Amen. God is good. And I want to, I want to just thank God. Uh, I know many of you, we, know, we don't fool ourselves, many of you <clears throat> uh, probably don't come out just to have church. I understand that. But I do, as I was looking out and, and watching you as uh, uh, Brother Gary was bringing the message, I do thank God that you sit and you listen. Amen. And uh, my prayer is that the Bible promises ministers he promises all of us that minister the word of God, even you, that his word does not go out and come back to him void. It accomplishes what he sends it out to do. And our prayer is always that uh, if you don't know Christ, that you would come to know him as your personal savior. That's all I've got to sell. And uh, 
uh, that, that's our prayer. And those of you that don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, uh, we just pray that, that you would uh, come to know him. And you know, you don't have to be in a church uh, uh, environment. You don't have to be in a prayer service. You can be laying in your bunk. All you need to do is just believe the gospel. And that is that Christ, you're a sinner. You'll never, if God lets you live another thousand years, you'll never be able to make it right on your own. It may not be important to you now. Some of you are young. You think you got, uh, you, you may feel that you can get it under control. But even if you get it under control, you can never uh, get yourself in a position that you can stand before God on your feet. You got to come to God on your knees. Amen. That means you got to humble yourself and admit that I need your son as my personal savior. There's no way God would have allowed Jesus to go through what he went through if we could do it without some other way. Uh, the, the minister uh, uh, dealt with that issue tonight. So many people are looking for another way to come to God. There's a lot of reasons that they do that. But one of the main, re one of the main reasons is pride. We like to be able to say, I did this on my own. I cleaned up my life. But you'll never clean up your life enough that you will be, you'll meet God's approval. Only the blood of Jesus applied to your life will make the difference. Uh, and that's the message that you have to believe. You have to believe that. And you know, uh, I just thank God again uh, for that, we, that you... You got to hear the gospel today. There was a young man, we don't have a lot of time, there was a young man requested that he might give a, a, a little testimony. So I'm going to allow him a few minutes. Uh, if you still want to do that, you got something you'd like to say, okay? I'm going to allow him a few minutes before we close. Give a little short uh, testimony. Everybody, it's a little scary up here in front of the pumpkin patch. <laughs> um, I was here in 2004, July 12th. Um, I went to prison. I did three years. Um, I got closer to God there, and I, got, I learned a lot of wise things. But I must have missed something, for I found myself back here again, facing another six and a half, possibly 30 years. Um, what, I've, what I've learned... And God's tugging on my heart tonight to uh, get up and speak and give him a little bit of encouragement. Is that uh, even though I've failed, it's not final. Um, I must find a different way and a better way and do something different than I've always done. Um, I was led away from God when I first got out. I found a nice church. And uh, I fit in. I found love there. I found compassion. And I was actually happy for a while. I started abusing drugs again. I went away from the church. I went away from God. And uh, it says in the Bible that once he has you, he will not let you out of your hand. Well, I, test I give a testimony of that tonight. He brought me right back here where I started. Let me know, hey, you're not going to come out of my hand. I will bring you right back. So the uh, only time I think that we fail is when we quit trying to succeed. And uh, I guess that's, that's all I got tonight, man. Amen. We thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, <clears throat> I thank God for, for your honesty. And I do thank God that, uh, you know, no matter where we are, uh, God has us covered. 